Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about Crocodile on the Sandbank by Elizabeth Peters. And this was published in 1975 and is the first book in the Amelia Peabody series. And if you have not been listening along with us, you may not know this, but this is this is Lane's OG favorite series of all time. Yeah. So there are 21 books in the series, including a compendium, because Elizabeth Peters is a trained archaeologist. Yes. So she went to University of Chicago, got her PhD, has excavated in Egypt, and so these books are about a family of archaeologists in the Victorian and post-Victorian era. Yeah. And I will say that this is part of what brought me and Lane together mm -hmm. uh, was that when we met for the first time, the person Lane was replacing and who was training her, I don't know how it came up, but was like, you should go talk to Meg about books, book recommendations. Yeah. Uh, again. Yeah, the Vorkosigan books. And I was like, yeah, it's this 14 or 15 book series. It's multi-generational, blah, blah, blah. And Lane was like, oh, really? Then have I got a series for you. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we're both like, hmm, these sound similar in some ways. Yeah. So the premise of the first book is that Amelia is a spinster yes. in England. You're going to notice some really strong romance tropes here, you guys. And she, upon the death of her father, inherits his whole estate. His, yes. Even, and her brothers are left penniless. Yes. And so she takes the money. She says, screw you. My brothers are evil. And they are. They all suck. So she takes off and decides she's going to explore the world with nothing but a lady's companion. So that said, let's read the book jacket. Yes. Okay. Amelia Peabody, that indomitable product of the Victorian age, embarks on her debut Egyptian adventure armed with unshakable self-confidence, a journal to record her thoughts, and, of course, a sturdy umbrella. On her way to Cairo, Amelia rescues young Evelyn Barton Forbes, who has been abandoned by her scoundrel lover. Together, the two women sail up the Nile to an archaeological site run by the Emerson brothers, the irascible but dashing Radcliffe and the amiable Walter. Their little party is increased by one, one mummy that is, and a singularly lively example of the species. Strange visitations, suspicious accidents, and botched kidnapping convince Amelia that there is a plot afoot to harm Evelyn. Now Amelia finds herself up against an unknown enemy and perilous forces that threaten to make her first Egyptian trip also her last. This is an awful summary. Oh, really? I'm just, I don't think it's that terrible. Oh, my heart is broken. Aww. That's so awful. <laughs> Tell me why. I, it, I think partially because it reads like a reflection on the series. Yeah. Even though it's just That's summarizing true. the first book. That's very true. Um, and I think This it, is more like if you have read an Amelia Peabody mystery, then you'll love her debut. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I think that feels a little hokey and I feel like this book deserves better than that. That's fair. And I do think it also doesn't quite capture the right tone. No, it no, it doesn't. It does make it seem like this is an adventure story instead yes. of this is a little bit of a parody of an adventure story. And a mystery and a, mystery, and yeah. a romance novel. Yes. Yeah. So, romance tropes. We've got the spinster who inherits some money. We've got the fallen lady finding love again. Mm -hmm. We've got the spinster finding love. Yes. We've got friends falling for brothers. Friends falling for brothers. We have trapped in the cave in danger. Oh my god, yes. Trapped in the cave together. <laughs> we have... So much forced proximity. So much forced proximity. Battle couple. Yes. Yes. Like... 
arguing through affection. Yes, yes. Enemies to lovers, but not that's not it. Yeah. I don't know how to it is the battle couple, but Yeah. Yeah. So it's the couple that relates by arguing. Yes. Yeah. Which I'm obviously into. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the things that's fun about this book, especially to compare it to the Vorkosigan saga, which mm-hmm. we've already started reviewing, is that unlike Vorkosigan, which is in a fictional world that Bujold is building for you with its own rules and its own narrative, and she's so great at that world building aspect, instead with Peters, she's played. They are historical fiction. Yeah. They are the Victorian era as you remember it. Uh, Emerson, throughout the series, is attributed a lot of the discoveries of William Flinders Petrie. Mm-hmm. So it's how she's able to keep the narrative of Egyptian discovery yeah. consistent and historically accurate. Um, and so. I think these books do a good job on the whole, and this one specifically, of showing characters who aren't anachronistic but are very progressive for their time. Yeah. And so I think even though Amelia, Emerson, Evelyn, and Walter are kind to their Egyptian crew, especially in this first novel, they're not friends with them. Right. They're not... They definitely do think Egypt is civilizing noble savages. Yes. They don't phrase it that way. Yeah. And Elizabeth Feeders is very talented at allowing her characters to express a viewpoint that you know she's not endorsing. Yes. So th- that's what I would say is, the, to me, the main difference between Vorkoskian series. Actually, not the main difference, because no, they're very different books. Sci-fi universe building right. versus well, placing it historically. And one is, it expects you to to take an unbelievable scenario seriously. Mm-hmm. And this one expects you to take a very believable si- uh, situation and not maybe take it so seriously. Yes. You know? A hundred percent. So I think, but they're very similar in that you've got intergenerational yes. mystery elements, yes. you know, um, world building. Yes. So it's one of the things I love is Amelia is a feminist. <laughs> yes. But not... As I said, anachronistically. Right. God save the queen. Queen Victoria is her idol. But when she finds Evelyn Forbes, the fallen woman, she takes her in. She thinks everyone staring at this emaciated victim is disgusting. She tells Evelyn, like, my maid is too weak for this journey. Come to Egypt. Yeah. Come with me. Yeah. Basically, Amelia is like, I am rich enough for this not to matter to me. Yeah. Your family has treated you horribly. Yeah. It's the man's fault for taking advantage of you and leaving you, yes. not yours for believing he loved you. Yes. Like, let's do this. Yeah. And so I will take care of us and we're leaving. Yeah. And it's just very like pro-sisterhood. Yeah. In a way that, especially for not only be taking place in the Victorian era, but being written in 1975. Yeah. Is really cool. Yeah. Um, and so they get to Egypt and of course, Amelia's always had an academic interest in Egypt. Yeah, but she was she she was never like Egypt is the place I want to go. She's doing like the grand tour. She meets Evelyn in Rome. They go to Greece. Now they're in Egypt. So it's not like she's dreamt all her life of going to Egypt, and this is the culmination of her dream. Right. She wanted to see the world. She was a wallflower spinster, blue stocking, Mm -hmm. stuck in the library with her wealthy father, Mm -hmm. taking care of him. So basically, she's like, I have gotten my just rewards because I took care of him all of my life and he finally died and he acknowledged my sacrifice by giving me all of his money 
and the I'm gonna not take advantage of it. Yeah, and yeah. she'd run that household yes. too. So she's very capable, very no nonsense. Yes. Sort of just knows she's on the shelf. Yeah. And she's gonna go and live her life the way she wants to now for the first time. And exactly. that means and she's a linguistic genius. She'd learned like five languages from books. Yeah. Without ever going to those yeah. countries. So now she wants to like put what she's learned to use. Yes. So of course, one of the first things she and Evelyn do on their tour of Egypt, as what you would, is go to the museums. Yes. And who should they run into? But uh, the Emerson brothers. The Emerson brothers, yes, indeed. And so this is something that actually doesn't come out until much later in the series, but I never realized how much younger Emerson was mm-hmm. than her. Which if I had known about it, I would have loved, obviously, <laughs> because I'm, I'm all about that. But he's the older brother, and then Walter's the younger brother. And Amelia and Evelyn have a pretty significant age gap. Yes. And Amelia does get slightly younger as the series goes on. Yes, yes, yes. And it it's does. up to you if you're interpreting that as her lying about her age to seem a little less old than her husband, or if Elizabeth Peters just realized these books had gone on for so long that Amelia needed to get a little younger to functionally do what she was yeah. being described because as doing. Because at the end, she's like, what, 80? Oh, yeah. 85, something like that. She's older. She's in her 30s. In this book. And Emerson's not. Yes. But that's not made explicit in this book. Right. Which, I, again, I would have loved if it were. But it's not. It's definitely implied because Amelia is so much older and yeah. they're unmarried, you find out later, titled mm-hmm. brothers off in Egypt. Yeah. Um, respectable but not well moneyed. Yes. Yeah. And very scientifically serious. They're, yes. va- they're vanguards yes. of modern archaeological excavation. Yes. And Emerson goes by Emerson. He's not going by Radcliffe, despite what this book jacket may have made you believe. R- right. The only person who ever called him Radcliffe was his mother. It's a family name, and he hates it. Yeah. Um, so Walter goes by Walter. So yes. there's not two Emersons. You don't have to be confused. Yes. And so, of course, Emerson and Amelia immediately butt heads. Yeah, they immediately hate each other. It's, it's very um, Connell and Alexia, if you recently listened to Soulless. But with way more character development. But with way more character development, yes. But he's like the scruffy, bearded, impolite. And he's criticizing everything. Yes. Yes, very critical person. And Amelia, as the very practical, no-nonsense person, is like, you are not about to tell me that I'm doing things wrong. And you're also making a scene. Yes. Keep it down, you monster. Right. Without (laughs) cowing at all. And meanwhile, Walter and Evelyn are watching this, with Walter being amazed that someone is standing up to his brother, and both of them, Walter and Evelyn, thinking, oh no. Yes. You're pretty and I like you. Yes. They, they, They have hearts in their eyes when they look at each other. So Walter and Evelyn. Yes. And so Emerson and his brother, Walter, go to Armarna, where they're excavating for the mm-hmm. season, leaving Amelia and Evelyn to rent a Dahabia, the filet. Man, I've read this book like 53 <laughs> times, can you tell? <laughs> and they uh, begin their sojourn. However, on this trip, next romance novel trope, Evelyn's cousin comes a courting. Oh, yes. Evelyn, Evelyn's cousin comes a courting. Yes, indeed. So they, they make it to Amarna. Yes. And I, oh, is, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they decide to stay because Emerson is ill. Yes. So they get there. Emerson is stupid sick. Yeah. Walter invites them to stay. Yes. Now the women are going to stay on the Dahabia. Yes. And the men are going to stay at the campsite. In the cave, yeah. And um, uh, Amelia with her little, what is it called? Like 
doctor's briefcase of tinctures or whatever doctor's bag immediately starts treating him and the first thing she does is shave off his gross beard yeah so we have some we have some hurt comfort here obviously that also trope right and also the beauty and the beast trope where she shaves off his beard and he is hot under there and he has a cleft in his chin that he hates but she loves (laughs) right and he's huge. We forgot. He's hulking. This is why I'm saying this is like this is like Macon and Alexia. Yeah. Also because Alexia was like, oh, so Amelia is described as being sallow and not very pretty. Dark haired. Dark haired. Gray eyed, so, busty. It, re- it reminds me of that a little. It makes me wonder if she has read these. Yes. Do you know on her campaign trail, Hillary Clinton described this as her favorite series? Really? I bet it made you like love her. Yeah, it did. Um uh, sorry, guys, not to talk politics, but I think we've made it pretty clear where we stand. Right. Um, so, Amelia and Evelyn are there nursing Emerson. Emerson's crew thinks Amelia's, like, cursing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Walter and Evelyn are slowly following, falling in love, and this is where Evelyn's cousin catches up cousin with them. Cousin shows up. Yeah. To say their grandfather's not doing well. Yeah. And he should, she should come back. He wants to forgive her. But also, he's very clearly interested in Evelyn. Yes. So, um, meanwhile, at the campsite, as the book jacket describes, a mummy starts showing up and traumatizing them. Yes, indeed. So, in fact, their party is added to by two? The cousin and the mummy? (laughs) Right. Um, So, you are correct in that the book jacket was... um, was This is not the first sighting of the mummy, however. No. The mummy showed up in Cairo. It did. FYI. But now it's at Armerna regularly. Yeah. And so without spoiling it, you've got the mystery of the mummy. You've got the mystery of Armerna. Like the archaeological discoveries do not take a backseat. No. Um, You've got the interpersonal relationships and dynamics. And so, you know, the way Amelia and Emerson go from battle couple to... Not not the way they go from battle to battle couple. <laughs> because let me spoil something for you about the series. They are battle couple till the end. Yes. They there's never a truce drawn. Correct. Like there may be a mm-hmm. ceasefire for a, a few nights, <laughs> right? But that's it. But so they're in a cave. Yeah. And there's a snake. Yes. <laughs> and the stress of killing it and then thinking they're about to die yes does lead to an impetuous action on emerson's part (laughs) which is very romance novel oh so romance novel it's like it's the near the experience yep yeah and so at this point they're like oh no we got feelings yeah what do we do yeah and at this point evelyn and walter are like oh god we got feelings but evelyn's cousin is pursuing Evelyn, Evelyn so vehemently and Walter is a very timid person yes so of course we have all of these relationship dramas to work out and then in the very end they end up together but one of my favorite things about this book is that um, she proposes to him it's really nice I like it a lot I do there are so many things I really like about this book yeah so I like this book I'm not as obsessed with it as Lane is no one could be it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's really this series. Yeah. This book is just one small part. Yes. Uh, I did really, really enjoy it. Uh, one thing that we may not have, we did not make obvious, actually, is this book is written 
uh, from Amelia's viewpoint as her journal entries. Yes, so the deal is Amelia begins writing travel journals, which was right. very common in the era, and she makes allusions to the fact throughout the novels that she's writing them for future publications after she dies. Right. So they're very, very, very limited perspective. Yes. And I know I mentioned this in the Bujold Yes. One we did too, yes. right? We mm -hmm. talked about... We talked a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. But about how a limited viewpoint character can still make you understand what other characters are feeling, even if that the character through whom you are experiencing the world does not realize how the other characters are feeling. Yes. That was a really long, complex sentence. But basically, what it boils down to is when Amelia is writing, she's written, writing everything from her perspective and from what she thinks that she saw. When you read it, you're like, mm, I don't think that's really working that way, Amelia. But it's authentic. I think Bujold and Peters both do a fantastic job of not letting the character's limited viewpoint expand. Amelia yes. doesn't know things. Cordelia doesn't know things yes. that they shouldn't know. Yes. But you as the reader, through their perspective, also get insights to things they don't understand yet. Yes. And I think that's the mark of a really talented first-person writer. Exactly. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's the whole thing where Amelia is misinterpreting things that Emerson is saying to her. And things that Evelyn and Lu uh, Lucas are doing. Yes. And, and it is pitch perfect because yeah. you as the reader want to smack her. You're like, Amelia, how <laughs> stupid can you be? Yeah. But you still love her. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just very, it is very, very well done. And honestly, I think if there was a sex scene... This would be a romance novel. This would be a romance novel. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, you don't find this out until later books, but there could have been a sex scene. That's all I am saying. Yeah. So. No, there also could have been that kiss in a cave in a romance novel would oh, yeah. have been them going a lot further than they did. Yeah. I think even, em and Evelyn and Walter would have been their own book. Yeah, if of this course. had been a romance of novel. Of course, they, you're, you're so right. They would have been their own book. They would have been the second in the series. But then there wouldn't be 20 million books. Or maybe they would have been the first, and Everson and Amelia would have been the second. I suppose. Yeah, but again, then there wouldn't be... No, no, no. And, like, the mystery is the primary purpose. Like, these, yes, these, these are, are mysteries. These are kept in the mystery section of the library. Nuts. Yes. It's just the historical fiction is pitch perfect yes. because Elizabeth Peters was actually an archaeologist and is writing what she knows. And, like... The author's notes in this book frequently discuss why she uses certain spellings of Egyptian antiquities or villages Yeah, when they're anachronistic, when they're not. Like, she says sometimes, she, like, Amelia uses the word she would have used in her own time, and sometimes she uses the word from the modern day because the editor, yes. under the guise that this is all journals being edited for publication, the editor felt like no one would know the old word, so the modern word has been, has used. been used. And mm -hmm. so it's all very deliberate and well yeah. thought out yeah. within the historical context, but each mystery is, with one exception, is a standalone. Yes. So the books, the people definitely build off one another. Time passes. Yes. Like, you see this throughout different historical eras, mm -hmm. um, through different major events. Yes. And honestly, the the fact that time passes is, I think, both something that's really interesting about the book, but it, it is the one thing about the book where we talked about this, but where Peters was like, oh, I made her a little too old. Yeah. <laughs> because by the end, she's like doddering. She should be just doddering around this archaeological site. And they do make some concessions some, to them aging, but not, not as much many. as they probably should When you have. think about the actual age, you're like, like <laughs> I know it's terrible, but I'm like, okay, if she were 70, I could believe it. 
But like also 70 in 1918. Also like, true. Also true. There's some. Um, Amelia talks about secretly dyeing her hair to keep yeah. it black later in the series. And you're like, girl, at this point, you're entirely gray. Right? Yeah. You don't still look young. Yeah. But then again, it's written from her perspective. So she's convinced that she looks. Exactly. So again, those are things that you can and forgive. Emerson is still all about her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that. look, this hits one of our favorite things, which is the, the faithfulness mm-hmm. trope. Times a thousand. Yeah, 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 exactly. She's the only woman he could ever imagine being with. And she had given up on love yeah. prior to him just because she was in her 30s when her dad died. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, it's a perfect match because he's got the intelligence, the education, the prestige, and she's got the money. She's got the money, so she can fund all their excavations. Which is, and has the house for them to live in, yes, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. has the whole to do. Um, so I think a lot of this ends up being very romance novel-y. It's, it like, is. It's they are perfectly matched, not just in terms of their character development, but in terms of their social situations. In a way yes. that, if this had been a romance novel, would have been presented as a challenge. But because this is not a romance novel, was just a given. Yeah. But though so they are, the mysteries are all standalones. But the wider narrative is not so these definitely each individual mystery plot is wrapped up yes but you are definitely served by reading these in order i agree with that i did not read any of them out of order um and i read the recommended reading order which because it's like your coast again similar to bujold these are written sometimes were written out of order um, so something might happen when it was published, let's say in 1999, it might have taken place chronologically in the books earlier than one of the previously published books. So dude, I would recommend going chronologically in book time, not published time. All right. I'm going to be real honest with you guys here. Elizabeth Peters has passed away. And so unlike Bujold, who's still not writing in this series anymore as far as I know. She she actually just published. She she's very close mouth. Anyway, Bujold she never admits to writing anything in the series and then all of a sudden she'll be like, "Oh, by the way, I'm writing I'm publishing a Burkos again book." Got it. Okay. People are like, "Are you doing?" She's like, "Nothing planned at this time." And like she'll say that up until all of a sudden she's like, "I'm publishing a Cordelia book next month." Okay. So... It might be ongoing. Yeah. So the way that the Amelia Peabody series worked is the first book was written as a standalone. The second book was written as a standalone with no intention of continuing the series. And then the third book is the first one she picked up with the intention of building out the universe. Right. And it is the weakest in the series that she wrote. Because, because it's got a million different plot elements thrown in there that, that she wants to resolve later. Right, and it was just very... It's not a bad book. No, it's not bad. But it's definitely not the most subtly written in terms of the stuff that's going to build. Yeah. So at that point, she's doing this wider series, and then she sort of gets to the point with the next generation where they're all grown and happy. And at that point, she starts to sort of fill in the blanks of earlier books. So each book is her journal from one archeological season. Mm -hmm. So for example, the first book is the book where she and Emerson get together. The second book is the first book they go back to Egypt after their son is born. So there's like many years of gap between the first and the second book. Then the, between the second and third book is the gap between 
the first time they went to Egypt after Ramsey's birth to the first season where they're taking Ramsey's to Egypt. Right. Their son's name is Ramsey's. He's the love his of my nickname, life. His nickname is Ramsey. He's he's the love of my life. Yeah, um, yeah. FYI, guys, Blaine's book boyfriend is Ramsey's. No question. <laughs> I will fight you for him. So Ramsey, Walter Ramsey's Emerson. Ra- Walter Ramsey's Peabody Emerson. Excuse me. <laughs> so. Um, so then she started to go back and fill in the blanks. And then when she made the decision where she was going to end the series, because there's a couple of points where it could have ended, yes. but she ends up deciding that the last book in the series takes place with the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb. Yes. And she ended up deciding that was a good place in world history. That was a good point in, in the, their lives. The, their lives. Emerson and Amelia at this point are getting much older. She yeah. didn't want to have to see them. So she kind of rushed before her death to do that and then wrote two more books after that were fill-ins because she'd intentionally wanted to make sure she finished the series before she died. One of the books she'd been writing as a fill-in called The Painted Queen, she died in the middle of writing. It's unclear how much she had done prior to her passing. It was picked up by her friend Joan Hess, who finished the series. Don't read it. Or if you're gonna read it, read it last. It's the one book that in the series do not read the recommended reading order. Yeah. It goes between the two books that are entwined. Yeah. Like there's only two books in the whole series that I would say cannot be read as standalones if you're going to reread. And it's these two. Yeah. And this the painted queen gets stuck in the middle of them. I will say Lane gave me that advice and I did not follow it. I still read it. And you wanna know why? Because whoever wrote the jacket did a really good job of writing that book jacket. And I was like, yeah, I wanna read that. That was your mistake. It was my mistake. If you knew me as well now, then as you did now, would you have skipped it? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. So if like skip it when you're reading the series. Yes, skip it. If you really want to go back to it later, go for it. If you really want to go back to it later, go for it. But yeah, it it should not have been published where it fell for sure. And then the thing is, if Elizabeth Peters had written it. Maybe I'd feel differently. Yeah. But I have a suspicion she had like yeah. outline notes in two chapters, not yeah. when she there, died. There are some interpersonal relationships that are not well served. There are some. Obviously, any author with a large series that takes place over many, many years is occasionally going to make mistakes is occasionally going to reference someone being born in 1898 when they were born in 1897. It's occasionally like, I'm not a nitpicky person who's going to like compare each book to each other. There are some massive canon fails. There's some real issues. Yeah. Like as in this character wouldn't have been a doctor yet. Like not minor. Yeah. Yeah. It's just guys don't read it. Yeah, skip it. If you love the series, finish it, and are like, oh, I want to read it, then go ahead. And at that point, you would be best served just going back to Crocodile and the So, Yeah, honestly, just, just yeah. do that. Because this is, it's a really good standalone novel. It's a really good standalone novel. It's super fun. I would say that I really like the second one in the series, too, as a standalone kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, like, really fun. I will say I also started reading these because Lane told me they were, like, really fun, low angst. There is a lot of angst in later books, guys. A lot of angst. I love so, it. I love it. FYI, <laughs> the first few are like super fluffy. Mm-hmm. Like super fluffy, very fun, very um, pulp novel-esque. And Elizabeth Peters intentionally 
liked Victorian adventure yeah. novels and style some of her books. So the second book is very obviously an homage to Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And oh, yes. um, The Last Camel Died at Noon is very obviously an homage to Haggard. Yes. So she really does take inspiration from contemporary authors in which this novel is taking place. Right. But, um, but yeah. Anyway, that said, there, there later comes quite a bit of angst. And um, just in case you're wondering, it does not all get resolved in this book where you read it either. So that's very... Because it's the interpersonal stuff that's angsty. Yeah, it is. Um, There's so, no angsty mystery. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I don't not know really. If, I don't know if that could... Maybe there could be an angsty mystery. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, there is obviously an angsty mystery that we loved. <laughs> so, are you also thinking of Charlotte? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, of course. <laughs> I'm thinking, right now, what I'm thinking of is um, uh, book number three, which is The Hollow of Fear. Yeah, Hollow of Fear. That is the deep Oh my God, that is an angsty mystery. <gasps> well, and these, some of these, the mysteries get a little angsty because... A little, yeah. Most, oh God, they do. Most of the mysteries in the earlier books focus on something happening at the archaeological site. Yeah. It's not always something... It's not always a mummy, but it's not always not a mummy. <laughs> Right, and it's not always somebody trying to scare them away from yeah. the site, though sometimes it is. Sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. it's people trying to incriminate them. Sometimes yes. it's they just happen to stumble upon something. Yes. But the as we mentioned, these books go through to the discovery of Tut's tomb in the yes. 20s. And so that covers some war periods. Yes. And some of those ones, the mysteries oh. grow far beyond Egypt, and those are the ones that are angst-central. Oh, my God, yes. They're like my favorite books of all time. I know they are, but they are very angst They're very She angsty. did not warn me. Well, I didn't... Okay, in my defense, I recommended the series to Meg and then asked her if she liked the first book, and a week later was like, oh, I've read the first eight. So you did also, like, <laughs> blitz through them so fast. I didn't really have time to warn you when the tone was changing. Look, look, I... <laughs> I was looking for a new series. I found one. <laughs> I read 20 books in a week uh, and a half. You know, I, 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 it's a little longer than that, but it was pretty quick. Yeah, it was really fast. <laughs> and I'm still reading Borkosigan. Um, so, uh, but I, you know, I'm almost jealous that you are because you want I the wish first time I made back. it last longer. Yeah. You know how it is. Oh, I totally do. I, <laughs> you know, so anyway. Totally recommend, obviously, yes. as we always do with our romance adjacents. If you like mysteries, if you like the concept of romance novels, but think the sex is sometimes too much for you, then like, you're safe here. Like this is, and if you like good writing, if you like good writing, and somebody who is writing about what they know. Yes, I I will say with a caveat that I think you have to like this particular style. The journal, first person. The journal, the first yeah. person, the limited viewpoint, with a touch of not taking itself too seriously. Yes. So we won't be doing all of the books in the series. No. Similar to the Vorkosigans, we'll probably do a couple more in the future, but just ones that specifically have a romantic framework. Yes. Um, there are some subsequent love stories with some the next generation. Triangles. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. Don't even, don't even give yeah. me that look right. because you yeah. know that there are love triangles. There are two that I can think of off the top of my head. Well, and there's future amnesia where yeah. they have to fall back in love. Yes. You guys, I, I guys, I loved that. <laughs> that that was my, that was the most romance tropey. Oh my God. That's probably the next one we're doing. So if you want to know, the next one we're probably doing is the snake, the crocodile and the dog. If anyone wants to read ahead. Yeah. If amnesia bothers you, you're going to hate it, but it was great. Maybe I shouldn't. No, I can. I can say that. 
Yeah, I mean, that's literally the point of the book. I yeah. think it's on the book jacket. Yeah. Um, but as always, thank you so much for listening to me squee about my favorite novel. We love doing the podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs>